0: Tonight, we get to talk about Jonah, and I'm excited about Jonah. And let me say, first of all, that Jonah is not the story we grew up with. Jonah is not a children's story. I, I don't mean you shouldn't tell Jonah to your, your children. That's not what I mean. I, I don't mean it's exclusively for adults. But I do mean that the story of Jonah, the lesson of Jonah is a very mature subject. And if we think that this is simply a story that's really cool about how a prophet got swallowed by a big fish, we are really missing the point. We are really missing the point. In fact, I would say that most of the time, the way we tell the story of Jonah proves that we're missing the point. And I'm just as guilty uh, as anybody at telling half of the story of Jonah technically three-fourths of the story of Jonah. Jonah is, I mean, it's nice and neat. It's short. I love that. In fact, I hope we're going to read the whole book tonight uh, and talk through it as we go. Um, so it's short. It's very neatly organized into four very distinct chapters. But here's what we have this tendency to do. We have the tendency to talk about the first three chapters and it really makes a nice, neat story that way. When we say Jonah was disobedient, he ran away from God's will, he didn't do what God was, told him to do, uh, and, and then he got in trouble, swallowed by a big fish, he repented, and then he went and did what he was supposed to do, end of story, happy ending, let's all go home, right? That's kind of how we tell the story. Only we forget that the last chapter, chapter 4, is the capstone to the whole thing. If we don't talk about chapter 4, we miss the point of the entire book. Chapter 4 tells us why Jonah did what he did. Why he went to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. It tells us why he ran away from what God told him to do. And it, it, it's a mirror for us to look into. It was a mirror for Israel to look into. And now it's a mirror for us to look into. And if the book of Jonah doesn't offend you, you're probably not reading it right. It should offend every single one of us. It's a shocking book. It's absolutely shocking. I mean, it's kind of shocking to me that the people of Israel held on to it because it convicted, it had to convict everybody who read it. And I think it still continues and should continue to convict us and humble us and drive us to our knees and teach us about who God is, who we are, and how God would have his people to live in the world as his people, okay? So let's look at the the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter one and verse one. And like I said, I hope we can go through the entire book. It's super short. Uh, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. couple things. One uh, might seem a little bit off track, but, but I want us to pay attention to something that is often said in the prophets. It says, now the what of the Lord came to Jonah? The word of the Lord came now I mean I just want you to to think about it for just a second I mean think about how that stated the word came to Jonah and then it says that Jonah fled from the what presence yeah the presence of the Lord and the word of the Lord are tied together And I think this is exactly the sort of thing that John is talking about in John chapter one when he introduces us to Jesus and he says, "This this is the way you need to understand Jesus. The word that came to the prophets, however it came to them in a vision or it came to them audibly, however the word of God, God's mind and God's will and God's instruction, however it came to them, now the word of the Lord has become flesh and has dwelt among us. And the word was in the beginning with God. And in fact, the word was God. When Jonah ran from the word of the Lord, he was running from the presence of the Lord. When you were in the presence of the word, you were in the presence of the Lord. We'll talk more about that hopefully in the end. But So the word came to Jonah, tells him, go to Nineveh. Now, why not Nineveh? Why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, and Assyria was the biggest, baddest empire at the time and the number one enemy of Israel, of Jonah's people, right? In fact, we know now, Jonah didn't necessarily know this, but pretty soon after these events, Assyria would end up destroying Israel in fact I was trying to think what would be sort of a parallel it would be like if you could imagine going back to like 1938 or something right and in Germany the Nazis are rising up and Hitler is in charge and you can kind of see even from the outside what's about to happen and what kind of a regime it is and all the kind of the bad stuff that's going on there and can you imagine maybe a preacher in the United States saying, okay, I'm going I'm to go to Germany, 1938, and I'm going to preach the gospel over there. Or I'm going to go, and I'm going to go talk to Adolf Hitler, right? And I'm going to go tell him, you know, here's what you need to do, and here's what you need to stop doing, right? That would be a, an incredibly hard calling, right? And Jonah says, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to go to Nineveh. In fact, why does he go go to Joppa to go to Tarshish? Because Tarshish is in the opposite direction, right? I mean, it's the total opposite direction. He's told to go one way, and he goes the opposite way because he says, I don't want to have anything to do with going to Nineveh. Now, he doesn't expressly say why he doesn't want to go here. In fact, in order to understand his motivation, you've got to read all the way to chapter 4, right? But when we read to chapter 4, we know that it's because he doesn't want to have anything to do with God having mercy on Assyrians. He doesn't want to have anything to do with God having mercy on Ninevite. And he knows that's exactly the kind of God he's dealing with. God is merciful and kind and gracious. and I don't want any of that for my enemies. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve God's love. They don't deserve God's kindness. They don't deserve God's mercy. And I'm not gonna have anything to do with partnering with God to go and take this kind of message to these kind of people because I don't want them to be forgiven. Verse four, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was what? fast asleep. Now, I, I love I was just noticing this as I was reading this through it again. How many words there are that are like adjectives to tell you exceedingly and fast He wasn't just asleep. Like he wasn't just snoozing. And the author wants you to know that it wasn't even like a troubled sleep. He was fast asleep. And in some contexts, that might be like, oh, you know, he he really trusts God (laughs) or something. Maybe when Jesus is asleep in the the boat and there's a storm going on, and you might say, oh, it's because he trusts God. He knows that, you know, God's going to take care of him. He knows all of those things. But with Jonah, it's a totally different situation, isn't it? And and it's obvious from the beginning of the story to the end of the story that he just doesn't care. He's not troubled about what's going on, about the sake of the sailors that are with him. And he's not troubled even about what he's in the process of doing. Throughout the entire story, he seems to be oblivious and so determined, I'm not doing this. I'm not going there. I don't care what happens to them. If you're going to strike them all dead and you really are going to destroy Nineveh, then do it. The only reason you need a prophet to go and tell them about it is because you might not do it and you might have mercy on them. And in that case, I'm not going to do it, so you're just going to have to burn them up. I'm going to go in the opposite direction. And in the process of it, he doesn't even seem to be struggling with his disobedience, with his rebellion, with his decision. He's not struggling at all. He's fast asleep. In fact, the sailors call him out on that as well. Verse 6, so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. (laughs) I just kind of have to giggle it. his word, I fear I fear the Lord, the God of heaven? Yeah, that's good, Jonah. Tell us another one, right? I mean, you don't, you fear God? You fear the Lord? Do you? Do you really fear the Lord? The word of the Lord came to you and said, go to Nineveh. The word of the Lord came to you and you knew the will of God. And instead of doing that, you went in the opposite direction and you were so confident in your disobedience, you've been fast asleep through the entire story. And now you have the audacity to say, you want to know who I am? I'm someone who fears the God of heaven and earth. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, now this is an interesting statement, and there's a couple different ways we could take this. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. I mean, you could read it and think, now all of a sudden, I mean, he's just being... Very selfless, isn't he? I mean, just all of a sudden he wakes up and he's like, ah, sorry, my bad, toss me in the sea, then it'll it'll quiet down for you, right? But I mean, he has to know that when you get tossed in the sea, you're probably going to die, right? So I mean, maybe, maybe this is just an act of total selfless love, or maybe, and again, you got to read all the way to chapter four to kind of really flesh out Jonah's attitude here. Maybe it's sort of a moment of self-loathing. Jonah twice in the last chapter says, it'd be better if I just die. I, I, was just, I just wish you'd just let me die right now, God. And, and maybe that's sort of his attitude here. And maybe he's sort of having a pity party. And maybe it's just fine, whatever, you know? I, that's just the way it's gonna be. After all, I mean, he doesn't jump into the ocean, right? He says, you're gonna have to throw me in. And so they even, they try to turn around and go back to, go back to the land. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Now, I want you to notice something here. Again, I, I don't know Jonah's attitude when he says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, but, but here we have these sailors who are pagans, who were just a moment ago calling out to their gods, now all of a sudden are praying to Yahweh, calling him by name, Yahweh. And look at what they're saying. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Do you see the reverence and the fear that they have for the God of heaven? So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And this is a theme throughout this book that these pagans, when they are confronted with the truth of Yahweh, actually show more fear and reverence And obedience and repentance then does Jonah. And here's a man who presumes upon Yahweh, who presumes upon God's salvation and mercy. And, And then, by contrast, here are these incredibly fearful and reverent, people who just have a glimpse of Yahweh God and say, you are a God unlike others. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then we move on to Jonah chapter two. And in Jonah two, we have this great prayer. Finally, Jonah prays to God. Finally, Jonah prays to God. And, and I mean, it's, it's reminiscent and uses language from the Psalms. And it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. So he's talking about when he was in the ocean, right? And the answer to his prayer was the fish, right? To swallow him up. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. So here's this Great prayer and psalm of thanksgiving and praise to God. He says, I, I sa- then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I, bent, I went down to the land whose bars closed Upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh, Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You, you rescued me. You saved me. You had mercy on, on me. And, and this, is, this is what Jonah loved about God, right? This is what all Israelites loved about God. It's what all of us love about God, that God is a rescuer. God is a savior. God is a deliverer. And Jonah says, I thought I was done for. I mean, imagine, I mean, he's using poetic language, obviously, but imagine what it was like when they cast him into the sea and he said, I sank down to the very bottom and there was seaweed wrapped around my head and I thought I was gone. And then all of a sudden, you sent this big fish to, to rescue me and to sweep me up and to save me. That's, that's what I love about you, God. Now, he says this, and this has really struck me this week as I read this: those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love." Now, that was interesting now now maybe maybe Jonah some commentators think Jonah is repenting of his disobedience to God maybe he's saying, listen i i wasn't I wasn't worshiping you, I wasn't." fearful of you. I didn't follow you. But maybe he's still talking about everybody else. Maybe he's still saying all all them, all y'all, all all y'all, right? I mean, maybe he's saying all of these other people who worship idols, they forsake the hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And then, and here I think is the key phrase to the whole book, salvation belongs to the Lord. And that's the phrase that you have to wonder, you're saying it, Jonah. And you're even experiencing it, Jonah. You're experiencing the salvation of Yahweh. But do you believe it? that salvation belongs to the Lord. It's really easy for us to sort of fall into a trap of saying salvation is for me. You have a covenant with me. You're my father. I'm your child. You're supposed to watch over me and take care of me. You have this, and that idea of steadfast love is about covenant love. And that's for me. And my people, because we worship you, but all those other people out there, they're the bad guys and they worship idols and they do bad things and they've forsaken their right. They've forsaken the ability. They've forsaken, how does it say? They've forsaken their hope of steadfast love. But I, I worship you and I pray to you and I'll sacrifice to you and I'll keep my vows to you. So maybe, maybe, and most commentators think that there's a hint of repentance in here. Although I'm, I mostly just see thanksgiving and praise, which is good, right? I mean, it's good. He's, he's thanking God and praising God for salvation. And this confession that's incredibly true salvation belongs to the Lord, I think is the key to the whole book, because it does. It belongs to the Lord. And he can give it to whomever he wants to give it, can't he? If God wants to show mercy to someone, he can show mercy to someone. If God wants to send rain upon someone, he can send rain upon someone. If he wants to send a storm, he can send a storm. If he wants to send air, he can send air. If he wants to bless someone, He can. If he wants to bless a whole people group, he can. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. And if he wants to send a message of mercy, and he wants to send a message of good news to a place and to a people, who are we to say, you don't have a right to do that? Not to those people. Not to people from that country. Not from people, not, not to people that do those kinds of things. Salvation is for people like me. But as we get to chapter four, we'll figure out that that's exactly how Jonah feels. And it's really easy for us to point our finger at Jonah and say, yeah, Jonah, you got a bad attitude, dude. (laughs) Like they say, you know, if you point your finger, you got three pointing back at you, right? And if you imagine, I think about it this way. If you were a kid and you're, you went to school and you were being bullied by somebody at school and and there was a kid at school that was really super mean to you, you would expect your dad to stick up for you, right? That's what dads are supposed to do. You stick up for me and you watch out for me. But if your dad said to you, you know what? That bully at school, what he really needs is somebody to love him and he needs... He needs blessings. And so I'm going I'm to take him out and play baseball with him. <laughs> like that. Nope, you're not. That's not how it works. You're my dad. You take care of me. You do nice things for me. You don't do nice things for kids like that. And, and, and we can all sort of feel that way about God's blessings and God's goodness and God's salvation. We want it for ourselves and not for other people. But this is the truth. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and he can send blessings on whomever he wants to send blessings. He can have mercy on whomever he wants to have mercy. He can send a message of good news to whoever he wants to send that message. And who are we to say, no, God, you don't have a right to do that. That good news and that mercy and that salvation is only for people like me. And that's exactly how Jonah felt about it. And that's sometimes how we feel about it. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Do you see all those adjectives? I mean, It wasn't just great. It was exceedingly great. The, The sailors had exceeding fear for God. An exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. (laughs) I mean, I love the way it's all just so compact. I don't know what else Jonah said or how much he preached, but, I mean, it's just immediate. And you see, it's like the sailors, and they just believe in, in in the narrative, right? And they believe. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out again mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I mean there's so many so many applications and so many messages, isn't there? so much that would undermine assumptions and biases that Jonah obviously has, that many Israelites probably had, that we might have about people. They are bad. They would never believe they would never stop doing the way the things that they do. They're never going to stop living that way or being that way. That's the kind of people those people are. Right? And yet, this message undermines all of that. And at the preaching of this message, they say, we believe. and and we fear God. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know that they became proselyte Jews or anything, but they said, we're going to stop this violence. We're going to do what you're telling us to do. And, And it stands in stark contrast to the way that Jonah himself received or rather failed to receive the word of God. And that in Jonah's arrogance, thinking, Mercy and grace and steadfast love are for me and my people because we fear you. (laughs) And yet, in reality, when the word comes to them, comes to Jonah, he rebels against it. And when the word came to the Ninevites, they responded to it. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. Now, chapter four. But, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He wasn't just a little displeased, he was exceedingly displeased. It displeased him exceedingly, and he was angry. Not necessarily that they received the word so well, but that God relented from the disaster that he said that he would do to them. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Now, we didn't get let in on that little part of the story until now. Isn't this what I said when I was in my own country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew. And here, Jonah quotes one of the most quoted and oft-repeated phrases about who God is in the Scriptures. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Only the irony of the way he's saying it, he's saying it as if that's a bad thing, right? Why? Because now God is showing graciousness and mercy and being slow to anger and steadfast love towards non-Israelites, pagans, And Jonah says, that's not okay. You can't do that. I'm mad about this. This isn't the way it's supposed to work. That love and salvation and mercy, salvation that Jonah experienced when he was at the bottom of the ocean, salvation that Jonah was thankful for when he was at the bottom of the ocean and the fish swept him up. He was thankful for salvation then, but now when it's been given to somebody else, no. Because that's supposed to be for me, not for non Israelites. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And again, Jonah's offering to die, but I mean, it's not selfless love, it's self pity. The Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Is this good? Do you think you have the right attitude? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could should till he should see what would become of the city. Almost like almost like I'm going to sit here and I'm either going to die or they are. I, you just you just pick. You know you're going to take care of me. You're going to take care of them. Verse six. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to. Listen to what it says. To save him from his discomfort. Now, discomfort, I mean, just sounds like, you know, not comfortable type of a word. But the word there actually is the word that's been used throughout the text. Actually, it's raw. It's bad, evil, whatever is bad or uncomfortable, I guess. But to save him from the bad, right? God allowed a plant... To grow up and to shade him, to save him from the bad. And and what does Jonah think about that? Is Jonah happy about that or is he angry about that? You said, I don't like the fact that you're so saving. You're so merciful. You're so gracious. But now he causes this plant to grow up to save Jonah from the bad. So Jonah was exceedingly glad, exceedingly glad because of the plant. And he says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die for the plant. You should have saved my plant. You should have taken care of my plant. Why? Because it's my plant. And it was giving me shade. That was my plant. And you should have protected it. And you should have cherished it. And you should have kept it from dying. And I'm mad because you didn't save the way I think you should save. You didn't show mercy the way I think you should show mercy. You didn't save me from my bad. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. And the word pity there is about covering over, having compassion on, rescuing. Like you want to rescue the plant. You feel bad for the plant. The plant's dead and you're sad. You're so sad and so distraught and so mad. You yourself want to die because of the dead plant. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. Yet you're so invested in the plant that you have pity on the plant. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than hundred and twenty thousand persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And it ends. If they had microphones in the biblical text, it would be like, drop the mic, that's it, right? Stun. And what are you supposed to do with that? Meditate on it. Think about it. Right? And so often we don't even get to chapter four, and that's the whole point. You have to wrestle with this. Jonah had to wrestle with this. Israel had to wrestle with this. Not just in this time period, but throughout the time Of having this book in their possession, in their scriptures, and now it's in our scriptures for our instruction and our learning. What will you do with this? Who do you have pity on? Who do you not have pity on? Who do you think God should have pity on? Who do you think God should not have pity on? Who do you pray for God to bless? Who do you not care if God blesses or not? God called Jonah to join him on a mission of mercy. Didn't he? Because again, if God just wanted to destroy Nineveh, he didn't need to send a prophet there. There's no reason to send a prophet to Nineveh to say, hey, I'm going to destroy you, unless there's a chance that they might turn around and there might not be any destruction. And so the only reason God was sending Jonah, and Jonah knew it, was the possibility of forgiveness and mercy and love. And God was inviting Jonah on a mission of mercy, and Jonah said, I will not go. Why? Nationalistic pride, right? Tribal pride. Those are not my people. These are my people. Those are the enemies of my people. I don't want you to have mercy on them. Your blessings and your mercy and your love are not for them. They're for us. Desire for self-preservation, right? If they live and they survive, they threaten our survival. And I don't want them to survive. I want us to survive, and I want them to die. I want you to rain down fire on them. And I don't want to have any part in your mercy mission to them. But I want us to think about this for a second, that Jesus is the second Jonah, the better Jonah. Think about the parallels for just a second. The word that came to Jonah, now has become flesh, and came to Israel. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And now he's come to the world. And and Jesus, unlike Jonah, willingly answers God's call to go on this mission of mercy, to tell the whole world who God is, And that God is giving them the opportunity to repent and to come to him. Jesus is the better Jonah. He's not the one who says, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. Jesus is the one who does exactly what the Father has called him to do. He goes to the ones who have, as Jonah says, forsaken their hope of steadfast love. Maybe you're right, Jonah. Maybe the idolaters have forsaken their hope of steadfast love but God is sending you to them anyway. And Jonah says, I don't want to go. And Jesus says, I do. I do want to go. I want to go to those who have forsaken their hope of steadfast love and let them know that there's still hope for them to have God's steadfast love. And Jesus, again, like Jonah, in that Jonah gave his life to save the sailors, but maybe did it a little bit begrudgingly, Jesus does it willingly and lovingly lays down his life so that others may live. And most of all, the salvation of others means more to Jesus than the preservation of his own life. Jonah says, I would rather you kill all the people in Nineveh and keep the plant over my head than I would the other way around. And Jesus says, I would rather die on the tree so that everyone else can live. But then we also have to understand that Jesus calls us. This gospel message of Jesus, the second, the better Jonah, comes out to us. And it's supposed to change us from people that are the image of Jonah to the people that are the image of Jesus, who lay down our pride, who lay down our desire for self-preservation, and who would rather take up their cross and follow Jesus so that others can live. And that Jesus calls us to go out into the world and to go to those who have, as Jonah put it, forsaken their hope of steadfast love and tell them about the God of steadfast love, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The gospel changes us from being people like Jonah to being people more like Jesus. So I just want us to end with Jonah's statement, which is so very true, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And aren't we glad that salvation belongs to the Lord? And if God calls us, take this message of mercy to your neighbors. Take this message of mercy to your family. Take this message of mercy to your enemies and love them. Love your neighbor as yourself then who are we to be like Jonah to say, no, I only want you to love and bless people like me. I don't want you to love and bless people like them, whoever they are. Let's be people that are more like Jesus, that take this message of love and mercy and grace to the whole world. Because We are the ones who, like Jonah, was swallowed up by the fish and rescued from the depths of the pit. We have been rescued. We've experienced the salvation of God and we've experienced that salvation belongs to the Lord and it's been extended to us. So who are we to say, I don't wanna participate in extending it to others? Let's pray. Father, you have extended your love and mercy and grace to us and we are so incredibly thankful. May we show that same mercy and grace and love to others. May we be willing to take this message of your love, this good news of Jesus, far beyond the the boundaries of our own towns and communities and country to the entire world that all creation may know who you are and what you're willing to do for them in Christ Jesus. Father, help us to be fearless and help us to be loving. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.